Giving the gift of real estate is as easy as one, two, three. And now that donation can become the cornerstone of a Catholic Charities USA donor-advised fund. It's a simple, flexible, and tax-efficient way to support your favorite charities and change the lives of those in need. That's a win-win. One of the knowledgeable staff members at Catholic Charities USA will be happy to walk you through the process. Learn more at catholiccharitiesusa.org slash America. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest and associate editor at America, and I'm standing in for Colleen Dully as your host this week, along with veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell, to take you behind the headlines on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. A newly discovered letter is providing damning evidence that World War II Pope Pius XII knew about the Nazi Holocaust as it was happening. Just how much specific knowledge did the Pope have about the extent of their genocidal campaign? This week, a letter found in a previously sealed section of the Vatican's archives reveals that Pope Pius XII may have been aware of the Holocaust and the mass deaths of Jewish and Polish people in Nazi concentration camps. According to the Russian agency TASS, Cardinal Mateusz Zupi could again travel to Moscow. But the Archbishop emphasized the value of the Vatican's ongoing peace efforts through Cardinal Mateusz Zupi's visits to various countries. These missions of Cardinal Zupi open other paths. Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, announced publicly for the first time that he is prepared to receive Cardinal Zupi, Pope Francis' special envoy on peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. According to the Vatican, the Pope was merely improvising and did not attempt to promote imperialism. Some say it might have also been ignorance on the Pope's part, but this argument is not resonating well with Ukrainian officials. To Ukrainians, the words were painful. And finally, Boris Gudziak, Metropolitan of the Ukrainian Catholic Church in the United States, has expressed concerns in a recent interview with America about a significant decline in Pope Francis' popularity in Ukraine. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York City, Jerry. We haven't seen each other since uh, Lisbon in Portugal for World Youth Day. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, uh, Ricardo. I'm very happy to see you again. And we're getting ready for what will be a very busy next five, six weeks. Indeed, we're looking into the consistory of new cardinals, uh, the launch of Laudato Si 2.0, and the upcoming Synod on Synodality. And let's not forget Pope Francis' visit to Marseille this weekend. Jerry, let's kick off with what has been making headlines uh, across the world in international news. We know that in the Vatican's secret archives that were uncovered or that were opened in 2019, uh, a letter has been uncovered there that Pope Pius XII uh, may have known about what happened in Nazi concentration camps. And of course, this begs the question, why was nothing said at the time? Why did the Vatican keep silence uh, in the face of such turmoil and pain uh, and devastation among 
the Jewish and Polish people? Well, Ricardo, I've followed this Pius XII story since I've been in Rome. And uh, there's always been somebody who's looking for the smoking gun, which will reveal that Pius knew everything and kept his mouth shut. What the latest is this letter that you mentioned, which was sent from a German Jesuit to the secretary of Pius XII, who was also Jesuit. And he was a member of the resistance movement, correct? He was a member of the resistance movement, and he asked that the contents of the letter not be made public, because otherwise it, it would be tracked to the resistance. Secondly, uh, we know the letter got to the Pope's secretary. And although headlines have said the Pope knew because of that letter, there is no confirming evidence that Pius XII actually saw the letter. So, Joe, we can't say for sure that Pope Pius XII did know what was happening in those concentration camps. But we also know that Pope Pius XII was a diplomat before he was Pope. And so, he may well have known and may have been working behind the scenes, uh, but not making it public uh, so as not to jeopardize a very sensitive situation. Yes, I, I think it's, I, I would say the presumption is that he knew a lot. Certainly by 1943, he knew a lot. But he saw what ha what was the reprisal against the Dutch bishops. And what I've heard is that he said, if they do that when the bishops of one country speak out, what will happen if the Pope speaks out? It's obviously a dilemma. He was obviously in a dilemma. And we do know, and the recent documentation has shown, Colin wrote the article on the, the document that gave the names of more than 3,200 Jews who were saved by religious houses in Rome including at the Gregorian University. And this, I understand, was at the instruction of Pius XII to do what they could to help the Jews. But just to contextualize this, I think it's important to say that, you know, the story of Catholics and the way that the Catholic Church handled the Holocaust is a complex one. And we've certainly tried to do some work to understand this on Inside the Vatican uh, we will link to Colleen's story that she published uh, just a few weeks ago. In fact, I think it was just last week. And we will also link to our deep dive on Pope Pius XII. When the secret archives were opened in 2019, we produced a deep dive on Inside the Vatican that goes into this question of the smoking gun. There's a genuine effort here, and I've seen it really increase over the years, to put into the public domain the information that they have. There's a conference in October at the Gregorian University from the 7th to the 9th, precisely on the docu new recent documentation that has come about around the time of Pius XII. And maybe we will follow it. We will have a number of American reporters in Rome, and maybe one of them, or us, or me, will follow that. But it's coming right in the heart of the Synod, so that complicates it a bit. And so I think we will have to see what comes at the conference. So, Jerry, let's turn to the next story. We know that Cardinal Zuppi, uh, Pope Francis' special envoy uh, for peace talks between Ukraine and Russia, visited Russia some months back, but was not able to talk to Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, or indeed uh, President Putin. And now, having just come back from Beijing, in fact, while he was still in Beijing, 
the Russian Foreign Service says that it is ready to receive Cardinal Zuppi again in Russia. What are we to make of this? Well, that's a good question, Ricardo. What are we to make of it? Because the timing is quite interesting. Zuppi was about to leave, in fact, may have well been on the plane uh, returning to uh, Italy from uh, Beijing when the foreign minister Lavrov said they were ready to receive him. But when he went there, remember he went, Cardinal Zuppi went to Kiev at the beginning of June. Yeah, June 5th to 6th. Yeah, and then he went to Moscow at the end of June. June 28th to 29th. Yes, and he went to Moscow immediately after the Wagner group had brought, started the mutiny. And so when he went to Moscow, nobody at a high level was ready to receive him. Not President Putin. He doesn't want to even take a phone call from the Pope. Not uh, Minister Lavrov, who is kind of normally open to receiving many people. And so he was received by a diplomat counselor of the Kremlin. Quite quite a low-level, middle-level uh, diplomat. But he was also received by the Russian Minister for Children, right? Maria Lvova Belova. She, of course, is one of the two, President Putin and Xi, are two who were wanted, for whom there's an international arrest warrant for the abduction of children by the International Criminal Court. So he, he met these two personalities in Moscow, and then he met the Patriarch Kirill. Remember that Cardinal Zuppi was the first priest of the Sant'Egidio community. He's the first vocation from the Sant'Egidio community. And he, the Sant'Egidio community, has almost from the beginning developed links with the Russian Orthodox Church. So when he went to Moscow, he was accompanied by the vice president of the Sant'Egidio community, who's an expert on Russian and Russian and Catholic Orthodox relations. And he was at the meeting with Kirill, Petra Kirill, who we remember is still today totally behind the war. And he uh, um, they, he was welcomed as a brother by Kirill. And they had a meeting and uh, then he came back. But the reality was, uh, in comparison with the meeting he had in Kiev, where he met President Zelensky and other ministers and religious leaders, in comparison with the meeting he had in Washington in July, where he met President Biden and others, and in comparison with the meeting he had just recently in Beijing, where he met uh, the uh, head of the foreign relations for Euro European and Asian uh, situations. So high-level meetings. Uh, some now say that Russia, seeing that he was received at that level in, in Beijing, felt wanted to take back some of the uh, limelight and immediately then offered a visit. We have to see what comes of this visit. Yeah. And I mean, while he was in China, he was discussing quite important issues around food safety and grain exports you know, th there's some thinking, at least, that some of what he discussed in China obviously got to the ears uh, of Moscow, or China intervened uh, in these conversations and said, you know, you need to be ready to move on this. 
I think that this was a very interesting part of the meeting, Ricardo. You're absolutely right. Because remember, the United Nations, with the aid of Turkey, had got agreement from Russia and Kiev that Kiev could export grain through its ports. Then Russia broke the agreement way back, about a month back, to the dismay of the poor countries which depend on the grain. Uh, and secondly, uh, refused, even with the intervention of Turkey again, to reopen the, the the trade route. Now that Beijing agreed to discuss this was almost a signal to Moscow. And I think uh, th that was very significant because in the other meetings, he was discussing mainly the exchange of prisoners and returning of the deported children to the Ukraine. So th this was expanding it. And obviously, I think it goes unsaid that in all the situations, there was a general discussion of the peace question. You know, how can we get out of war? How can we return to a situation where there's no longer fighting? Yeah, but it is important to stress, you know, uh, President Zelensky said that the Vatican cannot act as a mediator for peace. Uh, and the Vatican has acknowledged this, and they are saying that you know, they are not mediating in the conflict, but really that they are there to create a conducive climate uh, for conflict resolution. Trust has broken down completely. How do you begin to rebuild trust so that the war can somehow be brought to a close or at least the shooting stops? Talking about the breakdown of trust, in an interview that you had this week, you heard about the breakdown of trust between Pope Francis and the Ukrainian people. So after the break, we're going to talk about your interview with Boris Gojak, the Metropolitan Archbishop for the Ukrainian Catholic Church here in the United States. Welcome back. Before the break, we spoke about an interview that Jerry had for America magazine last week with Archbishop Boris Gujak, who is the Metropolitan Archbishop for the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church in the United States. He was in Rome for the Synod of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Jerry, what did you learn in your conversation with Archbishop Gujak? Well, first of all, he was one of 45 member bishops of the Ukrainian Catholic Church who held their synod from the 4th to the 13th of September. On the 6th of September, all the synod met the Pope. It was a Wednesday morning, and so normally the Pope has the public audience, and he asked them to come in at 7 o'clock in the morning. And they met for two hours to discuss various issues, humanitarian aid, trauma of war victims, and the disarmament efforts in the Ukraine. Basically, the focus was on the war and what the Pope can do to help them or the concerns that they have. And one of the concerns they raised with the Pope was the fact that he had praised Russia, Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, in a meeting, a Zoom meeting with young Catholics in St. Petersburg on the 25th of August. And this had really upset the Ukrainian people, so much so that the Latin bishop of Kiev said, 
that before the war, the Pope had a very high rating amongst all of Ukrainians. 64% of Ukrainians really admired him, esteemed him, praised him. With his comments during the war, where at various moments he has said things that upset the Ukrainians, said things about Russia that upset the Ukrainians. And with this last comment, his popularity has plummeted to 6%, from 64 to 6 And Archbishop Gudiak, they talked about this with the Pope, Archbishop Gudiak said, it's not a question of popularity, but the Pope is very important to us. He's very important to our people. He's very important to preaching the gospel. And it's a matter of concern that he is seen in this light. Terry, how do they measure that? I mean, that you know, that it's it's quite a stark measure. So from sixty-four to six percent, how do do we know how they measure that? These are kind of instant opinion polls. We know that Pope Francis has spoken about Saint Catherine the Great and Russian culture, uh, and praised various Russian figures. To give a few other examples, you know, this all, in in some ways, I think started with on good friday it was planned that a russian and a ukrainian woman uh, would present the stations of the cross together on good friday so that was one of the first times i think where we heard from ukraine you know that there was a certain um disregard for where they were as a people uh, to bring them together with a russian on good friday we also know that the Pope has expressed sympathy for a Russian woman, a civilian, uh, killed in a Ukrainian attack. And, of course, then there was that comment uh, that NATO was barking at Russia's gate. So there have been a few times where Pope Francis has said things that um, has, has risen the blood pressure uh, of the Ukrainian people. There have been several occasions. First of all, the Ukrainians wanted him to call out Putin and to pinpoint Russia as clearly as the aggressor. He has done the, the second part. He's never pointed the finger of Putin. He's spoken about Russian leadership. Uh, secondly, there was the feeling that somehow he's Russia lover. That he, But it goes back to his education in the high schools in Argentina. I, I have come to understand this, that there was a great respect for Russian literature and students were taught this. And that's where Francis likes it. He also mentioned, for example, on the plane going to Mongolia, he, he spoke about Russian music. He, he was brought up in that kind of climate. But in a context of war, you know, war polarizes. You're either with us or you're against us. And Pope Francis the Archbishop told me that in the meeting with the with the Synod, uh, a Brazilian metropolitan came out and spoke about three great wounds that the Ukrainian people were suffering. He didn't meant explain what those. And the Pope said, no, there are four. The fourth one is that the Ukrainian people are pained because they think I am not with them. Mm. Yeah, he said, I stand with the Ukrainian people. And he said this over and over. I am with you. I stand with you. And that for them was a very important statement by the Pope. And uh, the Archbishop said to me, I personally believe his heart is in the right place. His heart was with the victims, with the suffering people. And he, he wasn't saying this just to make me feel happy. He, 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 it was clear that that's how he feels.
And I, I've heard from other bishops as well. I, I was at the press conference with the um, the uh, major archbishop, the head of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, uh, Shevchuk, who speaks Spanish with the Pope. And he said also that the Pope was very clear and they went away convinced and feeling they can tell their people the Pope is standing with us. And and while the people may not feel, or at least while some people may not feel that Pope Francis is standing with them, we also know that the Vatican's been playing a crucial role, right? I mean, supporting the Ukrainian Catholic Church, sponsoring students, uh, you know, helping with scholarships in all kinds of ways. You've you've reported on this show uh, about the Vatican's support, taking uh, supplies to Ukraine. So I don't think it can be denied uh, that the Vatican has indeed shown its support for the Ukrainian people in a strong way. I think this meeting with the Ukrainian bishops was very important because they have to go back and talk to their priests and talk to their people. And now they, they feel they can do it from a position of strength and of conviction that this is where the Pope stands. They, they spoke to the Pope about two of their priests who have disappeared. And uh, they spoke to the Pope and they said in the occupied territories of Ukraine, occupied by Russia, not a ca Catholic priest, neither of the East nor the West uh, can practice, is functioning. There's, they're just not there. And remember, many churches have been destroyed. And uh, the Archbishop Gudziak was very clear to me. He said, what we're talking about is our culture, our country, our statehood, our, our life. He, he, when I asked him, I said, what do you say to people in the West who say we should stop sending arms to Ukraine? His answer was very clear. He said, we have a history. Over the 18th, 19th, 20th century, they have tried to eliminate our church. Secondly, he said, 15 million Ukrainians have died from persecution under the Nazis, under the communists, and right down to this present day. He said, if Russia puts down arms, the war is ended. If Ukraine puts down arms, it's over for Ukraine. I was very struck by that sentence because he summed up you know, they're fighting for their lives, put it in a simple word that ordinary people can understand. If they lose, what's their future? Total domination by Russia. And this is the essence of the war in Ukraine. So, Jerry, let's talk about, you know, just maybe on a final note before we wrap today, where do we stand with peace between Ukraine and Russia, given all these new developments and given what you have heard uh, in your interviews over this week? Two things to strike me. First of all, Ukraine does not want to sit at a negotiating table for peace until the Russian troops have been pushed out of their territory or withdrawn. They will not sit with Putin until Putin decides to withdraw the troops. Secondly, Around the world, there are many countries now who think we have to stop this war because it's having extraordinary negative effects 
on so many places, the poorer countries, but also on the bigger markets. And so there is a great push. Uh, people are looking for a way to somehow stop the killing. And it's interesting to me, you know, the Vatican was criticized for entering into these talks, trying to broker peace. It's now said that it's facilitating peace, not mediating peace, but hasn't ceased in its efforts. And we're now seeing world powers, right? I mean, we've just had the visit to Beijing by Cardinal Zuppi. Now Russia is saying, well, we're prepared to receive Cardinal Zuppi. Is the Vatican making headway as it had hoped? Well, it's difficult to know who's making headway, but the Vatican is determined, as long as the war continues, to push for an end to that war. And uh, right now, Archbishop Gallagher, the Vatican foreign minister, is at the United Nations, and he will be there meeting his counterparts and perhaps heads of state. There's much happening behind the scenes that we don't see. And we don't know yet when Cardinal Zuppi will uh, indeed visit Russia again. We, we will keep our eyes open for that, and we will certainly be reporting on that. And so I'm going to direct our listeners in the meantime to your interview uh, with Archbishop Gudjak uh, and to the great reporting that has been done uh, already on this subject in our pages. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Ricardo. Look forward to chatting next week to you, our colleague. I hope Colleen will be back in the seat. And before we leave you on Inside the Vatican this week, here are a few headlines you may have missed. Pope Francis joined former U.S. President Bill Clinton on a video call on September 18th at the Clinton Global Initiative Conference. The Pope spoke on the importance of guaranteeing health care for children and highlighted the pro bono work of the Bambino Gesù Children's Hospital in Rome. You can read his full address at the link on our show page. The Vatican is currently reviewing very serious allegations against former Bishop Christopher Sanders of the Diocese of Broome in Australia. The allegations have come to light following the release of a report from a local investigation ordered by the Vatican. This investigation identified that the bishop had allegedly sexually assaulted four teenagers and young men, potentially groomed another 67 and kept a stack of guns and cash on church premises. Bishop Saunders had already resigned in 2020 amid allegations of sexual misconduct and bullying in the Diocese of Broome. Lastly, a new development in the case of the now-expelled Jesuit priest Marco Rubnik. The Diocese of Rome has raised doubts about his excommunication and subsequent expulsion from the Jesuits. In a letter on September 14th, the Cardinal Vicar of Rome, Angelo de Donatis, cites gravely anonymous procedures uncovered during the diocese's investigation. As a result, he has sent the investigator's report to what he calls competent authorities, likely within the Vatican and the Jesuit order. And that's it for this week. Please click the link in our show notes. That'll take you to our show page with the links to all the stories that we have mentioned on today's show. Also, before we go, I want to raise the work of our colleague, James Martin. Jim has published a new book, Come Forth, published by Harper One, and it's available everywhere books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. So we'll link to that in our show notes. Please go ahead and buy a copy for yourself. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Colleen Dully. Production assistance from Michael O'Brien and Kevin Christopher Robles, who is also our audio engineer. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. 
The show is recorded in the William J. Loeschitz Studio at America Media in New York, and also at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at Inside Vatican Pod. That's Inside, without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X at RickDSSJ, that's R-I-C-D-S-S-J, and Jerry at Jerry O'Rome, G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please also consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. It's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media, with Gerard O'Connell, I'm Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you next time. Thank you.